The search for a killer in northern B.C. after a couple was murdered while traveling on the Alaska Highway. A family's appeal for witnesses eight years after their son was killed on transit. God knows that I try to do everything I can. A veterinarian is facing threats despite efforts to save a fawn. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. We begin tonight with the double murder of an Australian man and an American woman in northern BC. Today, the father of the Australian victim arrived in Vancouver. He also happens to be a member of the police force in New South Wales. Two other officers from Down Under are part of the international response to the mysterious double homicide of Lucas Fowler and China Deese. Global's Jill Bennett begins our coverage. She was the, always the brightest star in the room and the most vibrant personality. Family members of the couple found murdered on the Alaska Highway, also known as Highway 97, are still reeling and still left with questions about what happened to 24-year-old China Dees and 23-year-old Lucas Fowler, both experienced travelers. For something like that to happen, it, it must have really been something because these are two people that have traveled around the world and were not people to get caught off guard. Police in Australia say Dees and Fowler were shot near their van. It's believed the van had broken down. That information has not been released by RCMP. Fowler is the son of an inspector with the New South Wales Police Department. On Friday, Australian investigators arrived in Vancouver to assist in the case. Just here to assist um, the police and support the families. With plans to visit as many national parks as possible, Fowler bought this blue van from the owners of this ranch in Hudson's Hope. He started working there in February. Both he and Dees spent a week there before leaving on the road trip. We function, we try to keep busy, we, we try to do things, and it, it's just your thoughts always go back to, to that moment. And to, I hear Lucas's voice, you know. Whether the double homicide was some kind of targeted hit or a crime of opportunity will be part of the investigation, leaving experts to speculate. The back roads of, of Canada are not stalked by people who are preying on individuals who break down. But Gordon says there is an active drug trade in this part of B.C. It's possible the couple witnessed something. While the families wait for answers, they are left mourning. A couple, they say, was excited about sharing a life together. It just seemed um, like the free-spirited butterfly that traveled all over the world finally found another free-spirited butterfly and they both want to settle down together. Jill Bennett, Global News. Now, a number of people have come forward to say they spotted the couple in the hours before they were found dead. Nadia Stewart spoke with two people in Fort Nelson who say they talked with Fowler and Deese. Nadia, what did they say? Robin, the family we spoke with here in Fort Nelson say they were on their way back home from a camping trip in the Yukon when they came across Lucas Fowler and China Dees. They say the couple's truck had broken down by the side of the road. So Curtis and Sandra Broughton stopped by to help them. They say that Lucas Fowler explained what the problem was with the van. He knew very well what was wrong and also knew how to fix it. So Curtis and Sandra say that they felt confident when they left them there. They, they felt confident that he was going to be able to fix the problem and also that the couple were safe. They were devastated when they learned they were found dead. Just the thought, like, we went there, we were there to help them, like, almost like an angel there to help them in a way, like, 
trying to be good and help them, but yet that same day, the complete opposite of humanity um, hurt them like that and killed them so tragically. It just it just blows my mind that on that same highway there could be so good but yet so evil. It just, I don't know, it's just terrible. Now the Brontons say the toughest part in all of this is knowing that the victim's family received this news and it is heartbreaking news. We do know that Fowler's father is on his way up to the area along with Australian investigators. Back to you, Robin. Nadia Stewart in Fort Nelson tonight. Police in northern B.C. are also investigating the death of a man found near the scene of a vehicle that caught fire. Dees Lake RCMP recalled yesterday to a vehicle fire south of the Stikine River Bridge on Highway 3. That's a few hours south of the Yukon border. Police found a pickup truck on fire, but no one was inside. A passing driver told officers they saw what appeared to be a body at a nearby highway pullout. Police followed up and found a man's body. It's unclear if the two crime scenes are connected. One person is dead after a house fire in Maple Ridge this afternoon. Firefighters were called to a home in the 26600 block of Dudney Trunk Road shortly before 1.30. The house was fully involved when crews arrived. Several tenants were able to escape the burning home, including one who made a desperate attempt to save a woman trapped inside. I had seen a whole bunch of smoke coming out of the windows and... So I tried, I went up on the patio to see if the lady was home or if she was okay and I couldn't hear nothing in the window, but I kept yelling for five or ten minutes and she didn't, she didn't answer me, so. You tried your hardest. Yes, I tried, definitely tried my hardest. One person was believed to be trapped inside the house. Uh, eventually we were able to make entry into the house and we were able to bring that person outside and unfortunately that person succumbed to the injuries from the environment that they were in. Two people are dead and four others injured tonight after a collision on the Trans-Canada Highway near Revelstoke. The highway has since reopened, but drivers report extreme delays. The collision has now been cleared, but this marks the third closure in four days in the area. The latest crash happened at around 11 a.m., about 38 kilometers west of Golden. That's according to Drive BC. Paramedics say two people were taken to hospital in critical condition and two others were in serious condition. Ground and air crews also responded to the collision. Two men were wounded in a shooting in Surrey last night. Police blocked off an area of Mud Bay Park off Colebrook Road in Newton after shots were fired around 7 p.m. At the same time, officers were called to the 17300 block of 56th Avenue after someone reported a man with a gunshot wound. Police discovered the victim near a green car. He was taken to hospital for treatment. Then 20 minutes later, RCMP say a 22-year-old man walked into Langley Hospital with a gunshot wound. Police determined he too was connected to the shooting at Mud Bay Park. Surrey's Serious Crime Unit is investigating. A warrant has been issued for the man accused in a coffee attack last year. 28-year-old Matthew Lemowski is wanted for failing to appear in court last week. He's charged with assault in connection with the April 2018 incident caught on surveillance at the new Westminster Skytrain station. Lemowski is accused of throwing coffee on a woman on the platform and then pushing her. The victim fell backwards and hit her head on the ground, but fortunately suffered only minor neck and back injuries. A warning from health officials. Some Pacific oysters have been recalled due to a marine biotoxin. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency issued the recall saying the biotoxin causes paralytic shellfish poisoning. 
The oysters were processed by union-based seafood and inner-city packers with a harvest date of July 14th. They were sold in B.C., Alberta and Ontario. So far, there are no reports of illness. A Surrey father is pleading for more witnesses to come forward to help solve the case of his son's murder. Jamie Kehoe was killed eight years ago on a transit bus. Just last month, a woman came forward with new information. But as Julia Foy reports, the family is worried it may not be enough to reopen the investigation. He was just trying to stop a fight and ended up paying for it with his life. Jason Kehoe is still haunted by the unsolved murder of his 18-year-old son, Jamie. He was fatally stabbed in October of 2011 when he tried to break up two men clashing on a bus in Newton. The criminal justice branch determined there would be no charges because it was believed to be self-defense. I feel sad that I wasn't able to help or tell my story. But on June 8th, on what would have been Jamie's 26th birthday, the family received a letter on a memorial page from a woman who claims she was on that bus when Jamie died. Turns out that she's the one who called 911. She's the one who, who was sitting there with him trying to put pressure on the wound and she was the last one with him. After Global's story ran, the witness contacted the family and they convinced her to meet with the integrated homicide investigation team. We had a glimmer of hope. This witness came forward and uh, the story that the witness had to tell was a total different story than what we heard originally. But when Kehoe spoke to the investigators on July 15th, they didn't offer much hope about the case being reopened. They were saying that it's up to the prosecutor to press the charges. So I asked, did you, did you present this new information to the prosecutor? And they said no. Global News has contacted IHIT, but they would not provide comment. A criminologist says it can be challenging to determine whether a new witness's testimony is strong enough to crack a case. Why did you wait so long? Uh, how can we rely upon your evidence now after eight years? So these are the kinds of things that, of course, will be weighed by Crown prosecutors. The Jamie Kehoe case remains open. So Dad Jason is hoping that other people who were on the bus will reach out to IHIT if they have information they didn't share on that terrible night. It may help to confirm the young woman's testimony, the woman who was finally brave enough to share. A young man lost his life that night and he really needs your help. Our whole family needs your help for some kind of closure on this. Julia Foy, Global News. A West Kelowna veterinarian is dealing with the aftermath of euthanizing an injured fawn that was brought to his clinic. Danny Seymour reports on what's been a rough few days for animal lovers and what's next in the wake of the young animal's death. It was a difficult day for all of us. Dr. Moshi Oz describing the effect that euthanizing a baby deer named Gilbert had on him and his staff. God knows that I try to do everything I can. Gilbert needed a permanent home in a wildlife sanctuary. Unfortunately, there aren't any in the Okanagan, and according to provincial rules, wild animals can't be transferred more than 200 kilometers due to the risk of spreading disease. We live in, in a state that has laws, and we have, to, we have to do it, and we have to listen to it, and we have to obey. The government did grant a 24-hour extension, but Oz was unable to find a suitable home, so he was forced to euthanize the injured fawn on Friday night. We have to be practical. If the government say you have to do it, I have to do it. My hands are tied. Now Dr. Oz and his staff are dealing with the fallout. They threaten them. They threaten the business. 
someone was someone was uttering death threats to you. Is that absolutely. correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But if Oz hadn't followed the government's rules, it could end his career. What we could risk is shut down the hospital. I could risk to take my license as a vet, so I couldn't help more uh, dogs and cats and wild animals. Cindy Mimka is the president of a Kelowna-based animal rescue group. She thinks that provincial restrictions should be loosened for cases like Gilbert's. I think, re realistically, and I don't think it's unreasonable to ask that, as I mentioned, individual situations would be looked at. In a statement, the ministry said it had looked at long-term care facilities for the deer, but couldn't find anything that was equipped to deal with this type of injury, which would require significant ongoing care. Danny Seymour, Global News. A rare piece of First Nations history has been returned to its rightful owners. Art dealer Donald Ellis got his first glimpse at this rare potlatch mask after it arrived from France. The sun mask was taken from its rightful home in B.C. almost a century ago. In 1921, all potlatches were abolished in Canada, and the artifact was among hundreds of Indigenous items confiscated and put into storage. The sun mask ended up in a museum and private collection before it was sold off at auction. It eventually ended up in the hands of a Paris collector. After two years of intense negotiations, Ellis was able to buy it and bring it home, where it was repatriated to the Amista Gallery in Alert Bay at a ceremony today. When I see this now, it's really well painted, beautifully painted. It's still around, it was taken, it was, it's, it's been hidden, it's been resurfaced in auctions, hidden in private collections again, um, and now it's going back to the place it left. I know it means a lot to you. What's it going to mean to that community? A lot more than it means to me. A lot more. And I suppose for me, most importantly, I've had a good life. I've made a very good living working with these people, working with this material, and to give back seems like the right thing to do. The city of North Vancouver marked a major milestone today. After a decade-long makeover, the shipyards at the waterfront officially opened. The city's waterfront lands have been transformed into an interactive year-round destination with more than 85,000 square feet of commercial and community space. The shipyards are now home to restaurants, shops, a boutique hotel, the region's largest outdoor winter skating rink, and a summer water park. It was a, a, a vision that had been uh, uh, sort of worked on for years and years and years to try to bring back uh, the waterfront to the community, uh, tie in heritage involvements, uh, public gathering spaces and community involvement. And so the city had some designs and some understandings and uh, we worked with the city and tried to understand the concepts and then uh, after that we worked with Dialogue to come up with the design tying in heritage, community amenity space, public space and commercial retail to make it a viable partnership between both private and the municipality. Well, I was just there a few days ago. Great place to spend some time if you're having a staycation this summer. Absolutely. And on a day like today, you'd want to be by the water. <laughs> exactly. Perhaps any sort of water activity would be great. Uh, temperatures have been soaring. It's been a great start for us across the south coast and much of Metro Vancouver. A glance at some of the numbers and what we are seeing today. So a hot one, but it is going to get even warmer, especially for a few spots in the interior. We'll see those temperatures getting into the low 30s. Uh, currently sitting at 26 for areas near Kamloops, the central interior in the low 20s. 
20s. Whistler right now at 23 degrees. So even hotter as we get in towards early next week. And then we'll be tracking a change on the way. More of the timeline, what we can expect, especially for, the, for tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be a hot one. I'll show you why. All right, good stuff. Okay, we got soccer. We got football. Lots going on. Yeah, the Lions are on the field right now in uh, Regina against the Rough Riders. We'll have first half, and well, actually more than that, almost. Game will almost be over by the time we get back. And uh, the Open Championship, they're, they're probably drinking a lot of beer in uh, Ireland and Northern Ireland mm-hmm. today, regardless of who wins. But they're even happier because uh, Shane Lowry is leading an Irishman. So we'll have highlights from a pretty riveting uh, third round today. For sure. Welcome back. Parts of Canada and the U.S. are sizzling this weekend in a heat wave. Heat warnings have been issued for Ontario, Quebec, Alberta, the Northwest Territories and the Maritimes. Temperatures have been hovering in the low to mid-30s with the humidity making it feel like it's in the 40s. Definitely this. This is really refreshing. Well, it's a water, you know, it's a hot one. A little ice here and there, boy, down the back. Got to do what you got to do here in Burlington. Now, it is expected to cool off tomorrow, but south of the border, the heat is straining the country's infrastructure. The threat of triple-digit temperatures did not stop people from crowding the National Mall today. Yeah, it's way hot. Wet towels Uh, and lots of water. Yeah, shade, sunscreen, and lots of water. So we have like four or five bottles, and we're almost empty now. And medical crews at the ready to treat heat-related illnesses at this weekend's outdoor Apollo 11 festival. High heat and intense humidity will make several East Coast cities feel like it's well over 100 degrees. In D.C., city officials are monitoring the heat wave from the Emergency Operations Center. We're not going to get a lot of breaks in the heat, so even at night, the temperature, the heat index won't go below 90 degrees. In Indianapolis, police officers are outperforming wellness checks on the homeless. We'll be patrolling tonight, and if they need water or anything, they can free, feel free to stop us, and we'll come back and help them. In Philadelphia, where it's expected to hit a high of 98 degrees, the utility company is on high alert. We've placed additional crews on standby so we can respond to any outages that might occur. This is the first major heat wave to scorch the country this summer. Climate scientists say we can expect to see more here and across the globe. I mean, these heat waves are a symptom. They are telling us that the planet uh, is warming. It's not just a theoretical thing that's far in the future. Uh, The impacts of climate change are happening right now, right here. City officials here describe this as one of the most severe heat events we've had in the last several years. And while relief is expected next week, they are worried about health and safety until then, since heat stress can build hour by hour, day by day. Natalie Brand, CBS News, Washington. Tensions are escalating between Iran and the U.K. After Iranian authorities seized a British-flagged oil tanker, Britain is calling the move a hostile attack. This footage claims to show a British-flagged oil tanker held in the Iranian port of Bandar Abbas, its crew of 23 still on board. The Stena Impero was seized by the Middle Eastern country's elite revolutionary guard on Friday. The head of ports and maritime organization in the southern Hormozgan province said the vessel had collided with an Iranian fishing boat, having ignored its distress call. With the seizure in the vital international shipping route inflaming already fraught relations between Iran and the West, Britain's Defence Secretary Penny Mordaunt called the incident a hostile act. Foreign Minister Jeremy Hunt said he was worried that Tehran's action had put it on a, quote, dangerous path of illegal and destabilizing behavior. 
This is completely unacceptable. Freedom of navigation must be maintained. We will respond in a way that is considered but robust. And we are absolutely clear that if this situation is not resolved quickly, there will be serious consequences. He added that Britain was, however, looking at a diplomatic way to resolve the situation. Britain's government said it had advised British shipping to temporarily stay out of the Hormuz area. Two weeks ago, the British Navy seized Iran's Grace One tanker in Gibraltar, under suspicion it was smuggling oil to Syria, something which would be in breach of EU sanctions. On Friday, the UK extended the detention of the vessel by a further month. Within hours of that announcement, the Stena Impero had been surrounded. Tensions between Tehran and the US have also been further inflamed this week. Washington said it had downed an Iranian drone near where the Stena Impero was seized because it had come too close to an American warship. Tehran released a video it said disproved that, showing the pilotless aircraft was still filming after the US said it had been taken out in the Strait of Hormuz. In Health Matters tonight, a pacifier sold across the country is being recalled because it poses a choking hazard. Health Canada says parts of Baby's Choice pacifier and holder set can detach and possibly cause an infant or young child to choke. More than 6,300 of the blue, green and pink sets were sold between May 2017 and March 2018. So far, the company has received no reports of any injuries, but if you did buy it, return it for an exchange or throw it out. I'll put this on top. And a new study has found that pregnant women are turning to marijuana use to ease everything from morning sickness to migraines, despite no evidence that it's safe. Nearly 300,000 expectant mothers in Northern California were studied. But doctors say their concerned cannabis use could impair a baby's development. Some moms say their pot use helped them deal with issues like nausea and depression. Cannabis use in pregnancy is associated with having a baby who weighs less. And there's also growing evidence that there may be an association with uh, neurodevelopmental problems. Cannabis saved my life. If I hadn't gotten my medical cannabis, I just don't think I'd be here today. Is it worth the risk? I've seen my children. They've hit every milestone. They're developing beautifully. All right, let's talk weather. Yvonne Chell has been following this for us tonight. Yvonne, what's going on? It's beautiful out there. It's been a great start to the weekend, feeling more summer-like, especially in comparison to what we're seeing over the past couple of weekends. A beautiful shot right now overlooking English Bay and temperatures uh, still sitting at 22 out of the airport, areas away up to 26. And with the Humidex today, it's felt closer to 30 degrees. Not quite record-breaking on the Almanac. We're close to the average of 23, but a record on this day would be 29 degrees. Sit back in 1956. Current numbers, we're still into the low 20s, areas away from the water. We can see up to 26 degrees for Pitt Meadows, Surrey, Langley sitting at 27 and across the province for a few other spots with Quinnell at 23 and Fort Nelson at 28 degrees. Most areas for the central and southern half of the province, it's quiet, dry this evening, but it's the northeastern corners for Fort Nelson. A severe thunderstorm watch has just ended for the area, but we're still seeing a few isolated thunderstorms and then they'll start to ease off as we get into this evening. Upper level chart putting it into play. We will see it very strong for Monday, Tuesday, but we're tracking a change on the way for Wednesday. 
across the province, the northern half, we'll see those temperatures cooling off, and we are looking at some wet weather, but that's likely the blip in the forecast. Hottest day for us will be tomorrow, cools off slightly, but still very pleasant for Monday, Tuesday. It's Wednesday, down to 22 degrees, and a few spots into the southern interior. The peak of the temperatures will be Monday, Tuesday, and then cooling off on Wednesday, and then rebounding quite quickly. An update on the fire danger rating. We do have a few areas, especially for the southern spots uh, across the island. A reminder for any campfires, please be diligent. And also with disposing your cigarette butts, the northeastern corner is still sitting at moderate to high. For the piece tomorrow, slight chance for a shower or the risk of a thunderstorm. 26 degrees on your Monday. It starts to clear out. Whitehorse tomorrow up to 20 degrees. Coastal sections for the northern half will be dry, but a few spots near Smithers could still see a chance of showers or the risk of a thunderstorm. Sunny and dry across the central half. Areas near Prince George for your Monday getting up to 27 degrees and the Columbian Kootenai will start to see that increase in temperatures. The peak will be for your Tuesday and then a change on the way for Wednesday. Thompson Okanagan up to 29 degrees into the low 30s for the beginning of the work week and Whistler for the village will be sitting at 24 fantastic conditions and the island inland near Port Alberni will get up to 29 degrees, 25 and low 20s for most areas that are near the water. Tomorrow we'll see that temperature bump up once again. The Humidex will make it feel closer to 28 or closer to 30 degrees. Monday, Tuesday, dry and sunny into early next week. It'll be late Tuesday. We'll start to see that increase in cloud cover. And then Wednesday, throughout most of the day, it's a chance of showers and then clearing out quite quickly towards the evening. And then we're back into some sunshine for our Thursday. Tomorrow, get out and enjoy it, but make sure you're hydrated. It'll be a warm one back up to 23. Robin? All right, good stuff, Yvonne. We have some spectacular images to show you of a humpback south of Victoria last night. Andrew Lees of Five Star Whale Watching says two humpbacks started breaching after a large cargo ship passed by. The whales breached at least a dozen times in what he describes as an incredible encounter. Thousands headed south of the Fraser River and Delta today for the Boundary Bay Air Show. As Paul Johnson reports, it's a relative newcomer to the air show circuit that's coming into its own. Pulling some G's in Delta Saturday afternoon. That's the unmistakable roar of a twin-engine fighter. This one, a Canadian CF-18. Right now, you see the mirror rolls. This is extremely difficult. Most know Boundary Bay as that small airport in Delta. A place for private pilots and pilots in training. But Boundary Bay has been staging an air show in recent years. And while it won't be threatening its big cousin in Abbotsford anytime soon, here's a sign it's growing some wings of its own. Their feature attraction this year was Canada's Snowbirds demonstration team. Yes, they're still flying. And yes, they're as good as ever. Our incredible technicians uh, keep those classic uh, sports car of the air in, in the air. The important people to keep these jets flying. While Canada doesn't make planes like these anymore, it's a testament to our national resolve that we can keep them flying. These jets are more than 50 years old. The Snowbirds are now by far the oldest planes of any country's demonstration team. But as old as they may be, the Snowbirds are doing their job as ambassadors for the Canadian Air Force. Just ask this young cadet what kinds of planes she hopes to fly. F-18s. 
You want to fly the F-18? Like yeah, and snowbirds. So with thousands of happy visitors and countless young people inspired to fly, Delta's little airport has shown it can put on a show. Paul Johnson, Global News. Happy A very special birthday party was held in Abbotsford today for three women, all celebrating a remarkable milestone. They've all just turned 100 years old. The assisted living home where they reside held a party in honor of the triple milestone. Helen, Gwen and Velma were all in great spirits with many of their friends and their family members in attendance to celebrate the big day. And they took the time to give us all some sound advice on how to age gracefully. Lots of fresh air, good food, and hard work. Have a nice family I can be proud of and still go on with life. It's pretty remarkable to have all these people out wishing us a happy birthday. It's lovely. Add it up. They have 300 years of experience wow. among fantastic. them. Fantastic. All right. Very yeah. charming, but very alarming is mm-hmm. the fact that lions aren't doing so well right now. Yes. It seems like 100 years since the lions or white caps won. <laughs> that, that's what it feels like. It's, it's been, a, been a drought, to say the least, around here. Thanks, Robin. The uh, lions had plenty of time to think about that 33-6 blowout loss at home to Edmonton nine days ago. Would that inspire them to make good today in Saskatchewan in the first of a home-and-home series against the Rough Riders that could go a long way into deciding a playoff spot in the West. Hey, Manny Arsenault. First game as a Rough Rider. That's against the Lions. Manny played eight seasons in BC, 130 games, 55 touchdowns. The Lions made some changes on their O-line this week, trying to get Mike Riley protected, but same old result. Three more sacks so far today. That's 20. Former Lion Cody Fajardo at quarterback for the Riders. Hits uh, Kyron Moore, makes a great catch. Dives in for the touchdown, 8-3 Saskatchewan. The Lions do respond. Mike Riley airing it out to Shaq Johnson. 53-yard pickup, and the Lions are in business. Uh, but an old friend puts an end to the drive. Solomon Elamimian with the tremendous open field tackle on Brandon Rutley. Lions did get a field goal, and they trailed 8-6. Second quarter, Rutley's going to get some revenge. This is football. Absolutely lowers the boom on Ed Ganey. 14-yard pickup led to another Sergio Castillo field goal. Lions led 9-8. Late in the half, Riley going deep to Brian Burnham. Fantastic grab. 39-yard gain. Lions knocking on the door, trying to get into the end zone for the first time today, and they do. Mike Riley will stretch the ball just across for the touchdown. 16-10, Lions in front, but that did not last long. The ensuing kickoff, Marcus Thigpen breaking some tackles, and he takes it all the way. Speaking of the Centurion, a 100-yard return for the touchdown. Lions special teams have to tackle better than that. 17-16 Saskatchewan at the half. Third quarter, Lions had the lead, but Cody Fajardo will take it in on a four-yard TD run. They capped a drive that it was extended by another bad roughing the passer penalty, 25-19. It's now 31-19 riders in the fourth. Earlier, Eskimos and Alouettes, Montreal fired their GM six days ago, but on the field, Montreal playing some good football for Kahari Jones. A little razzle-dazzle here. Receiver Eugene Lewis turns into the quarterback and hits Montreal's actual QB, Vernon Adams Jr., for the 21-yard touchdown. 10-6 Montreal at the half. Third quarter, Owls get in again, this time 
Adams Jr. with the delivery caught by Jake Winicky, 17-9 Montreal. Al Defense also stepping up, although Greg Ellingson should have caught that pass right through his hands. Taylor Loeffler, the former UBC Thunderbird star, with the pick. Alouettes have won three straight as they beat the Eskimos 20-10. Both teams are 3-2. and two. Well, it's fitting the Whitecaps are playing the Earthquakes tonight because Vancouver's been a natural disaster the past few weeks, giving up 13 consecutive goals during a three-game MLS losing streak that's not only knocked the Caps out of the playoff chase, but knocked the stuffing out of the team spirit. But it's pro soccer. Pick yourself up and go get a win. Well, uh, we are professional soccer players. We have to put our heads up and knowing that we need to bring all the energy. We need to be focused on this game. It's the most important, and, and at home we need to win. I can just just gotta keep pushing. I don't think there's really a, a secret to, to, to doing that, to making that change. It's just gotta you're pushing with yourself, you're fighting with yourself to just um, to just keep going. That's all you can really do, you know. Just keep pushing and, and, and trying to stay positive and uh, working for the guy beside you. MLS Today, Toronto FC hosting Houston Dynamo. TFC usually pretty strong at home, but not tonight. Fourth minute defensive breakdown. Tommy McNamara beats Quentin Westberg. It's 1-0 for the Dynamo. And then later in the half, more from Houston. Thomas Martinez with the finish. 2-0 Houston. And they go on to defeat the Whitecaps 3-1 as Houston moves into a playoff spot in the West. Now, last night in MLS, one of the games of the year, Battle of L.A., the Galaxy and LAFC. LAFC with a league-low two losses, but Zlatan and the Galaxy were ready for them. Ibrahimovic with a fantastic goal here, ties it 1-1, and that was just the start of the Zlatan show. Second half, he will give L.A. the lead, elevating for the header, 2-1 Galaxy, and then... The hat-trick goal, another sublime strike from Zlatan and the Galaxy win at 3-2. They still trail first place LAFC by nine points. The LA team's the cream of the crop in the Western Conference. Welcome back. When Rory McIlroy just failed to make the cut yesterday at Royal Portrush, fans quickly hitched themselves to Irishman Shane Lowry, who began the third round tied for the lead. Lowry is a likable everyman kind of guy who's in search of his first major, and if he can come close to duplicating the magic he had today, he will be lifting the claret jug tomorrow. Scoring conditions ideal at Royal Portrush, expecting the exact opposite tomorrow. Rain, wind, and cooler temps forecasted. English and Irish Irish golfers all over the leaderboard. 47-year-old Lee Westwood still looking for that first major. Ashley tied for the lead early in the round but slipped back to minus eight. He's tied sixth. Another Englishman, Justin Rose for Eagle on 12, rolls it in. Three under on the day for Rose. He's tied fourth at nine under. PGA champ Brooks Kepka drove the par four 17th. This is for Eagle. Oh, just misses. What a great read, though. Tapped in for birdie. He's at nine under. Also tied for fourth. Tommy Fleetwood. Another one of the Englishmen yet to win on PGA Tour, but always knocking on the door. Nice shot here to get his birdie on the par five. He's at 12 under. He'll play in the final group with Shane Lowry, but he's got some ground to make up. Lowry three under on the front, then at the 10th in the rough. Rough, very thick, but he had a decent line. Look at this shot, and maybe a little luck of the Irish here on this bounce. Perfect. Got it to a couple of feet, and he was just warming up. He would convert the birdie. J.B. Holmes began the day tied for the lead with Lowry, but 
Runs in the trouble on the back nine, back-to-back bogeys on the 13th and 14th for the Americans. So uh, Holmes is at 10 under. He's a passenger the rest of the way watching Lowry's fantastic round. Lowry poured in five birdies on the back side. He was as dialed in as he's ever been. Check out the four iron. This is from 233 yards on the 16th. Just two birdies on the day on this hole. John Rahm made one. And Shane Lowry made one, and look at the reaction from the uh, pro-Irish crowd. 17th, Lowry's short game on display. Again, so many rolling hills to navigate here, but he pitches this one absolutely perfectly. Inside four feet. And then he will convert his third straight birdie. Much to the delight of the crowd. Eight under for the day, 16 under for the tournament, and a four-shot lead. At 18, Lowry with a chance to shoot 62, which would tie the all-time low round in a major, and he came that close. Still his 63, a record on the newly designed Royal Portrush. It was a magical day. Lowry rode the waves of support to the round of his life. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin tied 54th at plus two. Here's Lowry looking ahead to the final round. You know, it's going to be a difficult 24 hours, I, uh, you know, but... God, there's nowhere I'd rather want to be, so um, I've had some great conversations with coach all week and we've worked it out quite well and you know, I was a bit anxious going out there today um, and I performed quite nicely, so hopefully I can stick to my uh, game plan and stick to my mental process over the next uh, 24 hours and see where it leaves me this time tomorrow. Back to 15. Listen to that guy talk all day long. Meanwhile, the rest of the PGA Tour is in Kentucky for the Barbasol Championship. Most of these guys just looking to keep their tour status, get into the FedEx Cup playoffs. Kelly Craft, 64-footer for Eagle. Is that read perfectly? Just dives it into the cup. He had the outright lead. He shot an 11 under 61, going low today. But Jim Herman also eagled 15. He shot 10 under 62. He's got the lead at 24 under, one better than uh, Kraft. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor tied 23rd at 12 under, 12 back of the leader. And final round of the LPGA's Dow Great Lakes Bay Invitational from Michigan, a team event. The Canadian duo of Brooke Henderson and Elena Sharp led after round one. This birdie by Brooke helped them shoot nine. Nine under 61 in best ball today, good for fifth place at minus 19, but no one could cut, uh, touch the team of Jasmine Suwanapura of Thailand and American Sydney Clanton. They won by daylight after shooting an 11 under 59 today, 27 under their final score, a six-shot victory to win the tournament. Well, it's the theme of the day around the world, over the moon, about stage 14 of the Tour de France, a day of suffering in the Pyrenees. This is uh, where the climbers make their money at the uh, Tour de France. Some tough climbs, some 6,500 meters in climbs today. A disastrous day for defending champ Garrett Thomas, who was left in the dust by Thibaut Pino during the final climbs. Pino will take it to the finish line to win the stage, but you see in the yellow jersey, Julian Alaphilippe, the leader, he finished second in the stage, increases his overall lead over Thomas to two minutes, two seconds, the Tour de France with just over a week to go. And we'll finish with some baseball today. Blue Jays and Tigers from Detroit. Fifth inning, they're down 5-1, but Vladdy Guerrero Jr. with one of those bombs, a mighty swing to tie it up, 441 feet to center field. Ninth homer of the year, his first grand slam, tied it at five, and the Blue Jays now lead at 7-5 in the eighth in Detroit. That's what the fans come to see is Vladdy Jr. 
mashing like that is fun to see. But they're loving Lowry. I'm loving Lowry just isn't watching it, your highlights. Isn't that amazing? The, just <laughs> yes. the atmosphere there. They can't believe how great it is. And for him to win there, it would be outstanding. Today, the world is remembering an historic event 50 years ago when humans first walked on the moon. A global viewer is sending in this special July 21st, 1969 edition of the Vancouver Sun newspaper, renamed The Moon. Global has the premiere of a new documentary tonight. It's called The Moon Landing and the Maple Leaf. It will broadcast tonight at 7 p.m. here on Global and at 10 p.m. on History. And we thought we'd give you a little taste from our national reporter Mike Armstrong and photojournalist David Dillaharp. It is, to this day, even five decades later, one of the greatest achievements in human history. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. It was a giant leap shared. A celebration without borders. The world watched two men step onto the moon, but carried there on the shoulders of thousands. No one has ever gotten to space alone. NASA calls them the heroes behind the heroes. Men and women on the ground, perhaps, but who gave years to the mission. And that includes Canadians. We were all working crazy, crazy hours. Oh, it was ridiculous. There were a lot of divorces. There is also a Canadian twist. Another chapter in the broken dream of the Avro Aero, Canada's supersonic fighter jet. Ottawa kills the program just as the U.S. looks to space. Basically, the worst thing to happen to Avro is one of the best things to happen to NASA. The contributions of Canadians to Apollo 11 are largely overlooked, but much of it was critically important and is today a source of immense pride. Mankind went to the moon for the first time. I was involved. (laughs) How lucky can one guy be? Do you think Canadians are aware of the contribution that Canadians made? No, they're not. And the contribution was enormous. This is the story of the Canadians who helped put footprints on the moon. How the start of the space race led to a dark day for Canada. One small step for man. And that giant leap for mankind. I always get a rush when I see that footage. (laughs) David and Mike are among the best in the business. I certainly hope that you watch their documentary. We're all so happy and proud of them. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And that is our time for mm -hmm. now. Have a great night, and we'll see you back here tomorrow. These guys will be back at 11.